from Hollywood, it's time now. Johnny Deller. Ted Arloff here. Arloff? Los Angeles? That's right. Tri-Western Indemnity Company. Well, hi, Ted. Look, are you free to come out here in a hurry? What's up? A wayward truck. A wayward? That's right, truck. Lost, straight, or stolen? That's what I hope you can find out. It's a big one. Insured for nearly 20000 That is a big one. And aboard it, when it disappeared, was the driver. Insured? For 10000 And a cargo of copper tubing worth 9500 Also insured. Holy... Ted, I'll grab the next plane. Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And now, act one of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Tri-Western Indemnity Company, Los Angeles office. The following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the wayward truck matter. Expense account item one, $194.65, airfare and incidentals, Hartford, Los Angeles, California. When my plane set down at the International Airport shortly after 9 a.m., Ted Orloff was waiting for me. He led me on out to the parking lot. Here we are, Johnny. This car right here. All right. Go on. Hop in. Okay. You reserve a hotel room for me in town, Ted? Huh? Why? Well, after all, I've been sitting up on a plane all night and wouldn't mind a chance to shower and slick the whiskers off my pussy. Change clothes. Don't want to take the time. That's why I'm glad you could make it out here right away. See, this thing only happened Wednesday night. Well, just what did happen and who suffered the loss? And how about stopping somewhere so I can grab some breakfast, huh? Sure. Find a place along the way. Like I told you, Johnny, a truck loaded with $9,500 worth of copper tubing has disappeared. What kind of tubing? The kind they use a lot of in building airplanes, that sort of thing. Go on. It was shipped from Marlowe Copper Products over in East Los Angeles. That's where we're heading. Marlowe's a big jobber, distributor. Okay, so what happened? Well, late Wednesday night, a driver by the name of Jackie McAllen was scheduled to haul this order of tubing over to the Belden Aircraft Corporation over in Victorville. That's about 100 miles east of here, out in the desert. Yeah, I know. So? Well, the truckers usually drive that route at night, not only because of lighter traffic, but to avoid the heat during the daytime. Brother, you can say that again. Yeah. Well, anyhow, right after midnight Wednesday, 12.05 to be exact, Jackie signed out of the Marlowe warehouse with his load of copper tubing. Yesterday morning, Friday, Belden Aircraft was screaming for it. Wanting to know why it hadn't been delivered as promised. Just disappeared? Just disappeared. Hijacked, obviously. And the driver? Any word of him? Nothing. Well, what kind of a market is there for stuff like that out here? Plenty of market for it. Not only because it's expensive, but it's hard to get, too. Especially for some of the new little companies that have sprung up around Palmdale and Lancaster out that way. Yeah, didn't Lockheed just build a plant out there? Lockheed, Belden, a lot of the big ones. And they subcontract work to the little boys. That's why nearly $10,000 worth of copper tubing would be worth its weight in gold to those little plants. Well, then it's a wonder there isn't more of this kind of hijacking, if that's what it is. What do you know about the driver of that truck? Jackie McAllen is as honest as a day is long. Yeah, who says? His employer. And he should know. 
Jackie's been driving for Marlowe Copper Products for years. They trust that boy with a load of pure gold. Yeah. Yeah. What's that mean? Yeah. Man might have some trouble selling off a load of pure gold. Huh? But if what you say is true about the demand for copper tubing in this area... Oh, now, wait a minute. Well, every man's supposed to have his price, you know, Chip. Look, Johnny, I see what you're driving at, all right. But not Jackie McCaffrey. You sure? 10000 is a lot of money. Wouldn't be worth 10000 sold undercover. Jackie would certainly know where to sell it, though, wouldn't he? Johnny... And why hasn't he showed up? I'll tell you why. Because he's probably been killed. Item two, $1.75, breakfast for me and a cup of coffee for Ted Orloff on the way into Marlowe Copper Products in East Los Angeles. I was amazed at the way this industrial area has grown in the past few years. The Marlowe operation turned out to consist of a small office and a couple of warehouses. Marlowe himself was a tall, lean man of about 50, very much on the ball. Yes, sir, Mr. Dollar, it's as simple as that. Now, Willie here is the night watchman. I do, sir. Hi, Willie. According to Willie's clock and the shipping order in the manifest, Jackie McCallion signed his load out at exactly 12.05. And that's the last we've seen of either of them. He took off a loan with a load worth $10,000? $9,500, yes. Well, isn't that taking quite a chance? Well, he's done it many times. Mr. Marlowe, how much does this Jackie earn a week? Well, that would depend. Anywhere from 100 and... Oh, now, wait a minute. If you're thinking what I think you are, you're wrong, Dollar. Dead wrong. Just as I said, Johnny. Sure, why? I'd trust Jackie with my own life. And believe me, whoever's done him in, well, he's going to have to deal with me. I'll see him hang. What makes you so sure he's been done in? Well, it's the only thing that could have happened to make him give up a shipment of goods. A hijacker would have to kill him. And whoever did this to Jackie... Tell me... Do you think there's any possibility of his having been approached beforehand by hijackers, perhaps threatened into turning the shipment over to them? No, not a chance. He would have told me of anything like that immediately. If he had time, maybe. Who's working on the case now, Mr. Marlowe? The L.A. Police Department and the Sheriff's Department of every county in Southern California. Are all your trucks like those two I see out the window there? Jackie's was. We got four of those big singles. Did have. Now it's three. And three big tractor-trailer rigs. Mm-hmm. A truck like one of those is a pretty big hunk of stuff to just disappear. Willie. Uh, yes, sir? Were you on duty Wednesday? Yes, sir, I was. Did you notice anything unusual about Jackie that night? Why, no, sir, not that I noticed. He came to pick up his truck alone, huh? I didn't see nobody else with him. Well, uh, did he look worried, anything like that? Well, not that I could see, no, sir. And he didn't say anything that might have indicated things weren't as they should be? Not that I heard, no, sir. Just exactly what did he do? What the driver always does, come in, signed in, signed up the manifest, putting down the time, and then drove off with his truck, like always. Nothing unusual at all? Nothing I saw, no, sir. Mr. Marlowe, where did Jackie live? Somewhere over on West 3rd Street. He lived alone. Naturally, the police looked for him there first thing. May I have that address, please? I'll have my secretary get it for you. You, uh, you all through with me, boss? Yes, Willie. If you're going to work tonight, you better get some sleep going. Yes, sir. Thank you. Right. And believe me, nothing's going to happen to anything this time. If I were you, Mr. Marlowe, I think I'd have more than that for a night watchman in a place like this. Just what were you thinking of, Mr. Dollar? Jackie's address, I mean. <sighs> Look, if the police and sheriff's offices haven't been able to turn up anything, well, in spite of what you said, there's always the possibility of collusion in a case like this. Between, between Jackie and whoever stole that truck? Oh, no, sir. There's always the possibility, voluntary or otherwise, if Jackie was in with the hijackers, even against his no, will... I, I wouldn't believe but it. But it's a possibility, whether you want to believe it or not. 
For one thing, how would the hijackers know when and how the shipment was to be made? From any one of a number of sources. The man who supervised the loading here, for instance. Oh, Red Kingsley, or almost anybody in the place, or just as easily anyone over at Belden Aviation in Victorville. Belden would know exact time of departure from this warehouse? Well, no. Close timing in a hijack operation is usually pretty important. But they knew the stuff was due at their plant early Friday morning. They've been hollering for it ever since. I'll lay my money on the tip-off coming from this end. Now... Has the route between here and Victorville been thoroughly gone over? By the police. And they found no sign of either the truck or this fellow Jack? That's right. The truck, of course, could be disguised, new coat of paint, that sort of thing, often done. But no body, alive or otherwise? No. So how do you plan to proceed? Well, if Jackie was forced to participate... And I'm sure he wasn't. Then I don't know. Let me have that address, huh? Frankly, I didn't have the least idea what I was looking for. But I couldn't just stand around, so I borrowed a company car with a name and a number plastered all over the side and drove to the West 3rd Street address, hoping I'd have no trouble persuading the manager to let me in. Manager? Not in that old ramshackle frame house. The front door was wide open, and the mailbox had the number four opposite Jackie's name. That meant upstairs. As I reached the second floor, I could see that the door of number four was slightly ajar. And I could hear somebody moving about inside, opening closets and drawers. Quietly, I slipped close to the door. Inside, his back toward me, was a big, broad-shouldered brute, hastily emptying one of the bureau drawers. He was dressed in dirty work pants and wore a heavy, tattered blue sweater. Hey, what? Maybe you better let me ask the questions, huh? Oh, yeah? Now, look, buddy. What are you doing here? What are you putting into those handbags? None of your business. Now, you get out of here. Not until I find out what you're up to. I said get out. Didn't you hear me? Oh, take it easy. Oh, yeah? You want to play that way, huh? That's right. Brother, that was a big mistake. Oh, you asked for it. Oh, no, you don't. All right. Now, start talking. What were you doing here in Jackie's room? Well, what was I doing here? Hey, look. Who do you think you are? The law or something barging in here like this? That's right. Who are you? I said, who are you? I'm Big McCallion. What? That's right. Jackie McCallion. of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. Our flag now numbers 50 stars, and behind each star there stands yet another flag representing one of the 50 states. New Jersey's flag was created at the direction of George Washington. In 1779, General Washington directed that the New Jersey Continental Regiments wear coats of dark blue with buff-colored facing. This was done as a tribute to the former ruler of these colonies, the Dutch, whose national colors were buff and blue. Later, he instructed that the field on the flag of New Jersey should be the same buff color, and the state coat of arms in blue be placed upon it. The state's motto, reflecting the aspirations of all who came to these shores, is also inscribed on the flag, liberty and prosperity. This flag was displayed proudly before the combined American and French armies at the surrender of Cornwallis's army at Yorktown. New Jersey state flag, the flag of the third state to enter the Union, was adopted on March 26, 1896. 
Now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Wayward Truck Matter. Missing. A $20,000 truck from the Marlowe Copper Products Company of East Los Angeles. Also missing. It's cargo of copper tubing insured for $9,500. Also missing, also insured, the driver, one Jackie McCallion. And when I found a big, ugly-looking character going through Jackie's furnished room, I jumped him. And who does it turn out to be? That's right. Jackie McCallion. Boy, I'll say this, buddy. You, you're sure handy with your dukes for a skinny guy. Hey, who are you, anyway? Johnny Dollar, insurance investigator. And look, I'm, I'm sorry I must help you. Uh, insurance what? Well, I came here to find out what happened to you and that truckload of copper tubing that never got to build an aviation over in Victorville. What are you talking about? Of course it didn't. Of course not. Well, why? <laughs> because the shipment was called off, that's why. What? Well, sure. It was supposed to go out Wednesday night, right after midnight. And it did. At least it left the warehouse. Oh, that's where you're wrong. Because me and Betsy, we was going to take it. Betsy? Yeah, Betsy. You know, my truck. Only the order got canceled out. Who says so? The office. Who at the office? Well, how shall I know? All I know is I was here in my room getting ready to go over and pick up Betsy and the tubing. And the phone rung and a girl from the office says the shipment is canceled out. What girl? Do you know? I don't know. Some girl says she was in the office or all. You know, one of the girls, like they always giving out the orders, you know. And uh, she told me the boss says on account of there ain't no more trips for me this week, I can start my vacation right away instead of next week. But you don't know which girl in the office told you that. I told you. I don't know. I told her, tell Mr. Marlowe thanks, that's all. Why? D didn't she tell him? Where have you been since Wednesday night? Well, down in San Diego, staying at my sister's and doing some yellowtail fishing while I was there. <laughs> you know, out around San Clemente Island. Boy, they pulling in the big ones. Yeah, I'm sure wait, they are. When there I'm was about... one guy on our party boat that... Hey, wait a minute. What do you mean the shipment went out? Just that. On schedule. A little after midnight. What that girl told me... And it hasn't been heard of since. You... You mean it went out in my truck? In Betsy? Who took it? According to everything we know, you... Oh, no, sir. By midnight Wednesday, I was halfway to San Diego in my car. Look, you ask my sister down there. I got there before 1 a.m. Call her up and ask her. Go ahead, call her. You're sure of that? Oh, sure, I'm sure. And if some dirty guy took my Betsy out, I'll kill him. Don't nobody ride Betsy but me. Well, what were you doing when I came in here, packing those bags in such a hurry? What for? <laughs> my vacation. What's the matter? Don't you hear good? Hey, well, look, mister. If somebody took my truck out... Okay, and... Jackie, okay, calm down and come I... along with me. Where? We're going back to uh, Marlowe Copper Products to talk with a couple of people. Maybe to a showdown. Jackie? <laughs> With a name like that, I'd pictured a slim, wiry little fellow, not this big gorilla. And from what he'd said and what he told me on the way back to the Marlowe warehouse, I was convinced he was telling the truth about his whereabouts the night of the robbery. But then, who could possibly have been a close enough double for Jackie to fool the watchman? Or had the watchman been trying to fool me and the police? And why? Or could Marlowe himself have somehow contrived to... But again, why? And if Marlowe was up to something... Well, he'd have been smart enough to put or at least keep Jackie out of the way. Well, Mr. Dollar, did you find it? Jackie! <laughs> Hi, boss. 
Hey, hey, what's going on around Jackie, here? thank heaven, boy, you're all right. Oh, sure, I'm all right. We thought you'd been killed or something. Oh, me, too. <laughs> Where'd you find him, Dollar? Where's the truck? Hey, boss, that's what I've been trying to find out. Only all this guy here does is ask me questions. Well, the important thing is you're all right. I didn't tell you this before, Dollar, but Jackie's as much a part of this business as I am. Ah, oh, come on, Ah, uh, you started out with me in the beginning when I didn't have a penny to my name. Worked seven days a week, night and day, helping me build up this business. And you've kept him just a truck driver? What do you mean, just kept me a truck driver? That's the way I like it. Oh. Yeah, even the big retirement he made for me. I don't want that. I just want to keep on driving the truck, just like I am. And maybe go fishing now and then. That's what I like, and I know I'm happy. Thank God you're still all right. Hey, but what about Bessie? Yes, Dollar, what about the truck? Any ideas, any leads? Mr. Marlowe, I want to talk to that night watchman of yours again. Oh, Willie? That's right. Let's just hope he hasn't skipped town. Skipped town? Would you Dollar, see if you what... can locate him and get him down here? Well, of course. Do you think he was involved in the hijack operation? Well, let's get him in here, if we can, and we'll see. Something had just come back to me. Something pretty damning insofar as Willie was concerned. It was the way he had answered my questions when I talked to him before. Was there anything unusual about Jackie when he came to pick up the truck? Well, not that he noticed, he said. Had Jackie picked up the truck alone? Well, he hadn't seen anybody with him. What had Jackie said? He hadn't heard anything. Not one really positive answer in the lot. Or to the other questions I'd asked him. Much to my surprise, Marlowe's phone call brought assurances from Willie that he'd come over to the plant right away. And I... I told him I'd get somebody else to fill in for him tonight because of the sleep he's having to miss. Yeah, well, tell me this. Do your watchmen carry a time clock? That's right. There are punch key boxes located in a dozen or so spots all over the warehouse and one in this office. Uh Ah, they register on a paper dial on the time clock, Yeah, that's right. That way there's a record of what time he reaches every station on his nightly round. Would you get me that record for Wednesday night, please? Of course. And while you're at it, I'd like a copy of the shipping order and the manifest for that truckload of copper tubing. I'll have my secretary get them for you. By the time his secretary dug the punch clock record out of the files, old Willie arrived, looking somewhat the worse from lack of sleep, but apparently willing to cooperate in any way he could. I took him out to the watchman's booth, which was just inside the warehouse gate. Yes, sir, Mr. Dollar. This here's my old private office every night. And this is where you were when Jackie McCannion came to pick up his truck Wednesday night, huh? Well, now, where else would I be? Well, now, that answer is just as definite as the ones you gave me before, Willie, and it won't do. I asked you if Jackie said anything that night that might have made you suspicious. And I told you. Not that I heard. No, sir. Well, did you talk with him at all? Well, no. No reason to. There were just the two of you here in the middle of the night. Yes, sir. And you didn't even say hi to each other? Well, no. No reason. Driver comes around to pick up a shipment. He, well, all he has to do is sign up the manifest the time he leaves. You knew what time he was to be here, didn't you? Sure. I mean, yes, sir. It was right on the shipping order. But you didn't see him. You didn't see him pick up the shipping order or sign the manifest or drive out of here with his truck. Knowing he was coming, you left the gate open for him. Or knowing somebody was coming. That's against the rules, mister, leaving the gate. You weren't here when that truck went out. I didn't say that. No, no, so far you haven't said anything. You've just given a lot of evasive answers to all my questions. All right, all right. Now, if you were here, you were partner to the hijacking operation. No, sir. You'd have had to be. Because Jackie McCallion didn't pick up his truck that night, as you'd have us believe. If you were here at the gate, that is. And that's something we'll find out right now. Here. Jay, that's out of my time clock. That's right. 
And it's dated the night of May 22nd and 23rd. That's the night? Yes. Now, where's Station 1? Why, that... Uh, that's right there on the gate there. And, and, and that's the key I use to punch my time clock. Every single night, right on schedule. And I don't know what you're getting at, Joe. All right, all right. Just listen to me and answer my questions. Station number one was punched at 11.41. If that's what it says, that's what it was. Now, where's number two? Well? Uh, Look, I don't like to Where is number two? It's a big double doors back in the warehouse on the right. But now you look at 11.47. You must walk pretty slowly. Well, of course I do. I look around. I make sure that everything's all right. Okay. Now, where's number five? Come on, number five. On the back gate, way around the other side of the warehouse. Yeah. A good quarter of a mile from here. And according to this time clock record, that's where you were at exactly 12.04 that night. And, brother, I'd like to see you do a quarter of a mile around these buildings in less than a minute to get back here at exactly 12.05 when you claim Jackie signed out that truck. Well... You're right, Mr. Dollar. Yeah? Which way am I right? I... I wasn't here. I... I left the gate open for him. Like I often done when I wouldn't be right there for a night shipment. Like you often did? Don't you see? Nothing like this ever happened before. And when I seen his name on the manifest, I know that You weren't here when the truck went out, so you don't know a thing. I mean, I thought Jackie took it because... I left the catch on the main gate so it looked like it was locked. You ever done that before? Not for Jackie. He was always too close to the boss. He and the boss... Yeah, yeah, I know all about that. But I have for the other boys. Yeah. Yeah, you've left this whole place wide open for anybody who wanted to come in and take anything he could lay his hands on. And this time it was a $20,000 truck with a $10,000 cargo. Willie, you're in trouble. Plenty. I questioned him further and got nothing more than a few tears and a plea for mercy, and then I turned him over to Marlowe. Willie was his problem now. But my own was still far from solved. I wasn't any closer to the missing truck and its cargo than I'd been when I arrived. Expense account item three, 220, lunch for Jackie McCann and myself at a lunchroom around the corner. We were on our second cup of coffee. Good boy, you know, that was a good donut. <sighs> oh, sir, Mr. Dollar. And the more I think about it, the more I say that outside of them pretty girls in that boss's office, the only ones to be sure what time that shipment was to go out was Willie and, and Red Kingsley. Kingsley? That's his car I use. Yeah, yeah, that's the guy. He's in charge of all the shipping. Well, how much do you know about him? Well, I, I don't know. After all, you know, he, he's kind of over me. I thought your only real boss was Mr. Marlowe. Well, he is. You just bet he is. And and he's the best friend I ever had, too. But if I don't keep my place around the plant, you know, keep subordinating to the guys that are forming and stuff, what do you think would happen to the morale around the plant? Well, tell me about Red anyway. Dollar, well, he... Dollar, Mr. Dollar. Oh, Mr. Marlowe. I just got a call from the sheriff's substation in Victorville. Yes? They picked up some of that shipment of copper tubing. You see, we put a stamp on every piece. Then whoever hijacked it is already getting rid of it. Yes, but so far nobody's admitting where they got it. It's at Air Metals Company and Stress Products Incorporated, both near Victorville. You want to check on it? Use Kingsley's car again. Right. Hey, hey, you want me to show you the route? Okay, Mr. Warren. Sure, Jackie, go to it. (laughs) 
And believe me, we went. I don't know whether the police along the route have been alerted to let us by or not, but we earned more than one speeding ticket before we hit the cutoff around Victorville. The cutoff that would take us on past Edwards Air Force Base where the plants we were looking for were located. All along the way, Jackie had carefully scrutinized every truck we passed, going in either direction. No, no. Same make and model, but she and Betsy. Oh, Jackie, don't you realize that truck of yours is no doubt thoroughly disguised by now? Uh, you think a father couldn't tell his own little baby no matter how disguised it was? Maybe, but a truck. Here, now, now look at that one up ahead. See the, the one we're pulling up on? Also, same make and model, only this one is painted green. Yeah, want me to slow up as we pass it? No, she ain't Betsy. Even from here, I could tell. I didn't quite... Hey, wait a minute. That's Betsy. You sure? That paint job looks pretty old. That's Betsy. I know by her sound. You stop and block her off. Hey, Red. That's what he shouted. And this is Red Kingsley's car with a company name all over it. Yeah, that's why he thought we was Red when we passed him. Sure, and look. Look, he's catching up on us. He sure knows we ain't Red by now. Hey, look out. He's going to pile into us. He's going to ram us. Holy, hang on. Slapping you on a push this way. Come on. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. No, right. I'm, I'm okay. Hey, your, your pal's up the road with that other truck. That's the sheriff's car. Up up there where a couple of thousand miles of copper pipe spread all over the countryside. Oh, yeah. I edged him off the highway and he flipped over. Well, why did you do that? Why? Well, to hear those cops talk, you'd think I was a hero or something. Guys in the green truck rammed you off the road, didn't they? That's right. Well, when the cops seen that happen, they tried to force the truck off. Mister, that takes something like Clarabelle here. Clarabelle? Yeah, yeah. That's what I call this tractor-trailer rig of mine. It's not the first time I've given the police a hand. Yeah? They've given a lot of people a hand, those boys who drive the big interstate trucks and trailers. They're a pretty fine bunch to have on the road. Well, I guess it's pretty obvious that Red Kingsley and Marlowe's shipping department was back at a hijacking operation. The two who were aboard the stolen truck turned state's evidence and sang plenty, and the courts will take care of them. Expense account total, including air transportation and incidentals back to Hartford, 50105. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Here is our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week? Well, if you think a sudden case of complete amnesia is any fun, you're wrong. Because it happened to me. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Originates in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote tonight's story. 
Heard in our cast were Boris Lewis, John Daner, Junius Matthews, Stacey Harris, and Jack Crucian. Musical supervision is by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Dan Coverly speaking. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Matter up, Johnny. Ah, who's that? McGraw! Oh, as if I didn't know. What's on your mind, Bert? Dollar Mason. Ever hear of her? Her uncle Sylvester Mason. Mmm, Mason's stealing iron? Yeah, that's the man. Dollar's his favorite niece. About six weeks ago, she disappeared. So? So, yesterday, a body washed up on Newport Beach not too far from her parents' home. Charles? According to her father... And you hold a policy on her? For 25000 double indemnity. Ouch. So, why don't you pay it off? We would have today, except for one thing. Well, what's that? Right after Mason identified the body, a man named Dixon showed up and swore it was the body of his daughter. What? Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And now, act one of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Providential Assurance Company, 393 Dewey Avenue, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Mason-Dixon mismatch matter. Expense account item one, $1.20, taxi from my apartment of the Providential Building. The walls of Bert McGraw's office are covered with pictures of sporting events. And as I entered, Bert was preparing to hang another one. Johnny, well, come in, come in. Uh, you, uh, you ever see this? Uh, who is it? Who? Was well, me, that's who. The day I pitched for the Valdosta Lions. Struck out ten of the cherry pointers that afternoon. Yes, sir. Uh, you win the game for him? Huh? I said, did you win the game for him? Oh. Uh, 
No, cheating umpire. <laughs> ah, hey. Well, Johnny boy, you ready to join our little team? I don't know. The body of a girl being found on a beach, Mason identifying it as his daughter, then somebody else showing up. Uh, Henry Dixon. Yeah, and saying the same thing. Can't the authorities identify her? Haven't been able to yet. Neither one of those girls had their fingerprints on record? Nope. Well, what about dental work? Uh, nothing to go on there either. Oh, brother. It's not going to be an easy one, Johnny. How long had the body been in the ocean before it was washed up? Well, they figure about six weeks. You know what that means. Yeah. Hello? Oh, yes, sir. I see. Uh-huh. Well, if it isn't the Mason girl... Yes, sir. Yes, sir, that's right. Well, thanks for calling, Captain. That was Captain Miller of the Newport Police. They find out who she is? No. So if it is the Mason girl, we're going to have to pay out 50000 on the double indemnity clause. You aren't surprised, are you? No, I didn't think she died from a natural cause. But I didn't think it'd be from a gunshot wound, either. What kind of a gunshot wound? A thirty-eight, right through here. Mm. How old did you say the Mason girl was, Bert? Oh, around 20. Dixon girl, too. Both of them pretty, full of life. At least they were. When did the Mason girl disappear? Oh, about six weeks ago. And the Dixon girl? Well, she's been missing about three months. Well, one of them's still alive. I'll try to find her. Bert gave me all the information he had on both the Mason and the Dixon families. I took a cab back to my apartment. That's expense account item two. Item three, $18.10 transportation, Hartford to Newport, Rhode Island. After checking in at the Ogden Hotel, I called Dollar Mason's father, rented a car, and drove out to the Mason home on the beach. I was about to ring the bell when the front door opened. Hi. Well, hi. You must be Johnny Dollar. That's right. Come on in. I'm Joan Mason. Dollar's little sister. Uh-huh. This way, Mr. Dollar. Mother's waiting for you in the den. Your mother? I thought my appointment was with you. Oh, my father's indisposed. Besides, mother's the brains of this family. Of course, if you really want to know about Darla, you ask me. Maybe I will. You better. Mr. Dollar's here, Mother. Thank you, my dear. Come in, please, Mr. Dollar. See you later, Johnny. A dreadful mistake my husband made has upset him so. I thought it best to see you myself. Just what mistake are you referring to, Mrs. Mason? Well, we've released a statement the newspapers. I thought you had heard. No, ma'am, I haven't. You've made a trip over here for nothing, then. Oh? Yes, you see, my husband erred when he identified that body as being our daughter's. It couldn't possibly have been. Well, uh, I know you're glad of that, Mrs. Mason. But what made Mr. Mason change his mind? I haven't changed it, Dollar. George, I, I thought you were going to stay in your room. Never mind. Dollar, any questions you want to ask, I'll try to answer them. Why, George Mason, you've been... Drinking. Only enough to take the bad taste out of my mouth. And you know what put it there. Oh, don't look so mixed up, Jenny. I tried going along with you, but I got too weak a stomach. So here I am. I don't know what you're talking about. No. Listen, Dollar. Soon as they found out that girl had been murdered, my wife here decided it couldn't have been Dollar. It isn't Dollar, and you know it. Only thing I know is that you got a set idea good, proper people don't die nowhere else but in bed. Because this girl died like she did, because she was shot, you tried convincing me she ain't our daughter. Well, I won't hold still for it. That girl's darling, no matter what that crazy coot Dixon says. Me, or Mr. what Dollar? you say. Yes, you hear? You hear me, Jenny? Oh, 
woman. I got something mad at her. Oh, you, you want a drink, Dollar? No, no thanks. A little early for me. Yeah, I guess I've had enough, too. Well, Dollar, no matter what way our girl died, she was a good girl. Never gave me a bit of trouble. Never lied, never ran around like some her age do. Oh, she was a real good girl. Mr. Mason, the police haven't been able to make a positive identification. I know that. Well, would you mind telling me why you're so certain that girl is your daughter? Oh, of course not. First thing, Darla had no reason to run off. She had everything I could give her. Charge accounts all over the place. Everything money could buy. So, she had no reason to leave here like she did. Where was she last seen? At the Newport Yacht Club, at the bar. Younger daughter Joan saw Darla talking with a stranger. When she walked out of the club, it was the last anybody ever saw of her. Well, Mr. Mason, do you have a picture of your daughter that I could borrow for a few days? Yeah, I might be able to find you one. What do you want with it? I'm going to try to find her. You what? Darla, you... Or find the Dixon girl. Oh. Oh, yeah, I see what you mean. Well, you... Might locate Ruth Dixon somewhere. Do you know the Dixons, Mr. Mason? No, I never heard of them before this happened. What about Ruth Dixon? Could Darla have known her? Oh, of course not. Are you sure? I mean, isn't it possible that in a small community like this one... No, no, it's not possible. Dollar, we're the Masons. Now, maybe that don't mean much to you or to me, but it means an awful lot to my wife. And for the time poor Darla was born, my wife drilled it into work. You understand? No, I'm not sure that I do. Well, Darla never mixed with people she thought were beneath her any more than my wife ever has. I see. You don't believe it, you just ask around. I plan to, Mr. Mason. Mason found a small snapshot of his daughter. I took it and drove back to town. Expense account item four, ten cents, one phone call to Henry Dixon. Twenty minutes later, I walked through the knee-high weeds that surrounded the Dixon home. Standing on the front porch waiting for me was a tall, thin man. Afternoon. Mr. Dollar? Yes, that's right. Well, I'm glad to know you. Sit down. It's such a nice day, I thought we could talk out here on the porch. Fine with me. Oh, uh, Dollar. Yeah? Uh, look, th- this whole thing hasn't been easy on my wife. Now, I've spent all day convincing her that I was mistaken that the girl found on the beach isn't our daughter. You really believe that? Oh, I do, and so does my wife. And for the first time in days, she's almost her old self again. Henry? Oh, on the porch, Lucille. Mr. Dollar's here. Oh, my. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? Oh, Lucille, this is Mr. Dollar. Oh, pleased to meet you, sir. Thank you, Mrs. Dixon. Well, sit down, Mr. Dollar. Just anywhere. Oh, Henry built these chairs himself. I wanted to put them in the house, but Ruth, she just wouldn't have it. There. <clears throat> yes, Mr. Dollar. <clears throat> I'm not at all sure why you want to see us. Ruth wasn't insured. We never could afford to take out a policy on her. Well, we did once for her college fund. You remember, Henry? Mm, yes, but when I was forced to slow down, we had to cash it in. All except about $1,000, that is. Back in St. Louis, my husband was a school teacher, Mr. Dollar. A fine one. But the doctors made him give it up because of his heart. Oh, I see. 
how long have you folks lived in Newport? Five years and four months. Mrs. Dixon, I imagine you remember just about everything that happened the day Ruth disappeared, don't you? Oh, my, yes. Well, did your daughter seem to be upset or emotionally disturbed in any way? No more than usual. Well, Ruth was spoiled, Mr. Dollar. Before Henry had to leave his job, we had the money to buy her nice things. Then, when we didn't have it, well, Ruth just never could get used to seeing her friends in their pretty new dresses. That's one of the reasons we moved to Newport, to get away from that crowd. Yes, we hoped she would find some friends on her own... Uh, financial level. Yes, some friends like that. But she... she wouldn't change. Did she know the Mason girl? Or ever talk about her? No... I can't recall that she did. Now, wait a minute, Henry. She did once. Oh, when was that? Oh, about the middle of March. They were having a dance where Ruth worked. When she got home that night, she told me the Mason girl had been there and how nice her hair had looked. Mm, the Mason girl wasn't nearly as pretty. Oh, no. Have you ever seen a picture of Ruth, Mr. Dollar? Uh, well, only the one in the newspapers. Oh, that doesn't look a thing like Ruth. Excuse me. Shirley. Mr. Dixon, was Ruth happy with her job? Well, considering how little they pay girls for doing hostess work, she was. Now, here. Here's a real nice picture of her, Mr. Dollar. You just look at this. Mm. Isn't that something? She sure... Mrs. Dixon, where was this taken? Why, where she worked. At the Newport Yacht Club. I borrowed the picture after promising to be careful with it. Then I went back to my hotel. At the desk, I stopped for my key and messages and found one from Captain Miller of the Newport Police. He wanted to see me in his office as soon as possible. It took me about five minutes to get there. Dollar? Yeah, that's right. In the air. I Miller, homicide detail. I'm glad you could... Oh, Mr. Oh, Dollar. Huh? Mr. Dollar, what wonderful good news. Now, Jenny, leave the man alone. Well, I, I didn't expect to find you people here, Mrs. Mason. No, no, I'm sure you didn't. And Mr. Mason didn't expect to be here either. Oh, you just wouldn't hold the thought, would you, George? You just wouldn't have faith. Oh, Jenny. You had our girl dead and buried in her grave. Oh, for heaven's sake. Never see anything so disgusting, Dollar. But she's not. No, sir. Oh, I'm so thankful. So very Mrs. Very... Mason, you mean you found her? They haven't found her yet, Dollar. As a matter we of fact. We found proof that she's alive. What kind of proof? A slip. A what? A little sail. Oh, Mr. Dollar, I'm so excited. Calm down, Jenny, for heaven's sake. I'll what calm did you down find? When I'm ready to I didn't Mason find it, Mrs. Mason. Well, what is it? What is it? A bill from Kennedy's. That's a department store over in Providence. Oh, why don't you shut up, woman? Captain, what's a bill got to do with Dollar Mason being alive? Just this. All the Masons have a charge account at Kennedy's. Yes, yes. So today a bill came to the Mason house addressed to Miss Dollar Mason. You hear? Yeah. Mrs. Mason opened it. Yes. Darla charged a fur wrap in Kennedy's. Oh. When? Just last week.
Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. We often hear about people shooting the bull or throwing the bull. We often do it ourselves on occasion. But here's a story about a bull that threw the man instead of the other way around. When Air Force veterinarian Captain Tony Kamalocker was stationed in the Azores, he was asked by a Portuguese veterinarian to diagnose the wound of a young and promising bull that had been gored by another bull. It came from a long line of famous Corrida bulls and was considered very valuable. But Captain Kamalocker's diagnosis was not favorable. An operation was needed, and there were no facilities for such a thing, just the young captain's bag of surgical instruments, a few strong field hands to hold the animal down, and Mrs. Kamalocker, who acted as nurse. The operating table was a rocky field under a penetrating drizzle of rain. But Captain Tony Kamalocker couldn't be stopped with mere inconveniences. After giving the bull a dose of tranquilizers and a shot of local anesthetic, he proceeded with surgery. Just as the operation was completed, the bull came to life. With a mighty lurch, it leaped to its feet, throwing the field hands aside like sticks, and, for thanks, immediately charged at the surgeon. But Kamalocker escaped over a nearby stone wall. The bull recovered and its grateful owner renamed it Kamalocker for its debut in the ring where, Portuguese style, it is against the law to kill the bull. That's how a simple act of kindness brought about new understanding, a step on the road to freedom, the right of all men, everywhere. Now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and the Mason-Dixon mismatch matter. After telling me that the Mason girl had used one of her charge accounts just five days before the body was discovered on the beach, Captain Miller produced the original sales slip. Written across the bottom of it was the name Darla Mason. I wish to heaven I could be positive it's really her signature. You mean you think it's a forgery, Captain? I don't think anything yet. Mr. Darla, you believe it's Darla's signature, don't you? Well, I... I haven't anything to compare the signature with, Mrs. Mason. Mrs. Mason, do you happen to have any of your daughter's legal documents at home? Or her driver's license or anything else that might contain her signature? No, I'm afraid I don't. You can order a copy from the Department of Motor Vehicles, Captain. Yeah, I will. What do you want it for, Captain? Well, it's just a matter of form, Mr. Mason. We have to be sure. But Darla's mother and me, we are sure. And we're the only ones that count. Well, that's not quite true, Mr. Mason. What? Have you forgotten about the Dixons? Oh, Oh, yeah, I guess it did for a minute. Well, you go ahead. Mrs. Mason and me will be at home. Yes, sir. You'll let us know as soon as you can, Captain. Yes, ma'am, I will. Thank you. Well, Dollar, now what? How far is Providence, Captain? About 40 miles. Why? Well, I don't know about that store over there, but where I came from, before a person could charge on an expensive item like a fur wrap, he'd have to produce some identification. Unless. Yeah. Unless the salesperson recognized him. Or her. What do you think? Mm, it's 310 now. If we hurry, we might have time to do a little shopping. We made it in an hour and a half. The first salon at Kennedy's is on the second floor, back, away from the escalator. 
I remember her quite well, Mr. Darla. And you're sure it was Darla Mason? Oh, yes, I know, because I was so surprised to see her. Oh, how's that? <laughs> well, I read the papers, Mr. Darla. I knew she'd been away. Had you ever waited on her before, Miss Trumbull? No, I had not. Do you remember how she was dressed? Mm, well, she had on a hat. Gray felt fitted real close to her head, so you couldn't see any of her hair. And, oh, yes, a navy blue dress, raw silk, I believe, and real décolleté. What? Low cut, Captain. Oh. Did you recognize her when she first walked in, or not until she told you her name? Well, I... Oh, you men are so picky. I don't remember everything. I'm sorry. Miss Trimble, I have two snapshots here. In a moment, I want you to tell me which of these two girls is Darla Mason. Well, that won't be hard to do. But first, may I borrow a pair of scissors and a small piece of paper, please? Mm, certainly. Here you are. Thanks. What the devil are you up to, Johnny? Cutting paper hats. What do you think? What? Come over here to the counter. Miss Trimble, if you'll just wait there a second, please. Yes, whatever you say. This had better be good. I think it will be. Now watch. All right. Now I put the snapshots on the counter. And on the head of each girl... Johnny! one of my little paper hats. Oh, really? This is ridiculous. Is it? Take a look. But I... Well, I'll be... When did you spot this? Today, at the Dixon house. Miss Trimble. Yes, sir? Would you come over now, please? Yes, certainly. All right. Look at the snapshots and tell me which of these ladies bought that fur from you last week. Why, you've covered up their hair. You said she wore a hat, didn't you? Yes, but... but... Which one of them was it, Miss Trimble? Well, I, I'm not sure. Uh-huh. They look so much alike with their hair covered like that. I'm just not sure. Mason girl had worn her hair short in the Italian style. Ruth Dixon, who didn't have the money to spend on beauty parlors, had let hers grow long and full. But both girls had similar features, and apparently I was the only one who had noticed this. Or was I? Captain Miller and I went to the credit department where we compared the signature on the sales slip with Darla Mason's original credit application. After that, well, there was little doubt in our minds as to what had happened. It was almost seven when I got back to my hotel, took a shower, and stretched out to do a little thinking. Yeah, hello. Hi. Hi, yourself. Who is it? Oh, come on, Johnny. Who are you expecting? Well... Don't tell me you've forgotten about our date. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, where shall I meet you, Miss... Uh... I'll meet you. Be right up, Johnny boy. <laughs> I wasn't quite dressed when she began pounding on the door. I tucked my shirt in and opened the door. Hi. Joni. Well, who else? Well, don't look so amazed. Invite me in. Oh, sorry. Come in. That's more like it. You don't mind if I leave the door open, do you? Worried, Johnny? Oh, no, no. It's just that I like lots of air. You're cute. So are you for a 17-year-old. 18, but I'm... I'm quite sure you are. Now, uh, Joni, before we go out tonight, would you mind if I ask you a couple of questions? I thought you probably would. Oh, why? Well, I'm sure everyone in Newport knows about Darla charging that for a wrap. Oh, I see. What do you want to ask me, Johnny? It's about the day Darla disappeared. Yes. Well, you said she was in the bar with a stranger, right? That's right. 
But you and I, we both know that every stranger who enters the yacht club has to sign a guest book. Correct? Well, he's given a temporary card. With the name of the member who invited him to the club also registered in the book. You're very clever, Mr. Dollar. Why did you lie to the police and your parents, Joni? Dahl is my sister. I thought maybe someday she'd do the same for me. Will you tell me who the stranger was? Or shall I go over to the yacht club and start checking their guest book? I'll tell you. You... Yeah? Would you mind closing that door? Tell me first. His name's Peter Hansen. Who is he? My mother can answer that. Or my father. Who is he, Joni? A tutor. My mother hired him for Darla and me. He moved into our house about three months ago. Of course, he didn't stay long. Where was he from? I don't really know. But I know how you can find out. Yeah? Mother hires all her help from the Castelloni Employment Agency in Providence. If anyone has his home address, they will. I started calling the Castelloni Agency at 8.30 the next morning. Hanson's last known address was in Providence, and half an hour later I was headed toward the highway. It wasn't until I reached the turnpike that I noticed I was being followed by a battered blue sedan. Hanson had moved, but he'd left a forwarding address, and three hours and two addresses later, I turned down a lonely oyster shell road and stopped. Ahead of me, I could see a small beach cottage, and still behind me, the battered blue sedan. You make it real easy for a man to follow you, Mr. Dollar. If I had known it was you, sir, I wouldn't have. I hope you don't mind my tagging along like this. <sighs> Mr. Dixon. Now, wait. I know what you're going to say. But let me say this first, Mr. Dollar. I- I've waited around, wondering if it was our girl you would find or-, or the other one for so long. Well, I just couldn't anymore. I had to do something. You understand that, don't you? <sighs> yes, sir, I think I do. Good. Well, then, you go on about your business and I won't bother you. You go on up to that house, and I'll wait right here. Go on now. Yes, sir. I wasn't sure who or what I would find in that beach house, but I was sure no amount of talk could persuade Mr. Dixon to leave until I did. I knocked on the door for a good minute before it finally opened. Yeah? Mr. Hanson? Yeah, what is it? My name is Dollar. I'm an insurance... Insurance man! Oh, oh, oh. oh, I thought... Honey, it's just an insurance salesman. Look, Dollar, even if I had the money, I wouldn't buy any insurance from you. You come around too early. You didn't let me finish. Huh? I'm not a salesman. I'm an investigator. Oh. Hey! Oh, give it up, Hanson. No! Honey! 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 Honey. You can't stop me, Hanson. Uh, you want to bet? Yeah. Why did you disappear? You know how much trouble you've caused? I can read. I know. It didn't bother you? Your family not knowing whether you were dead or alive? Not a bit. I'd be happier if they thought I was dead. Oh, darling, you don't mean that. I proved it, didn't I? I'm not sure. Why did you disappear? Because I was bored. Tired and sick of living like my family makes me live. And how's that? Come out here. You see those birds? The seagulls, yeah. Beautiful, aren't they? You know why? All right, why? Because they're free. Because they can live any way they want with no responsibilities, no reputation to worry about. Oh, boy, how I envy them. Mr. Dollar. 
We're around back, sir. All right, now you tell me something. Sure. How'd you know that wasn't me they found on the beach? Because of that fur wrap you charged at Kennedy's. But how did... I told them to send the bill here. They didn't. It went to your house. Oh, no. Somebody sure goofed. Yeah, Dollar. You sure did. Mr. Dollar, are you all right? I thought... Oh. Mr. Dixon, I... Mr. Dixon? Yes, Starla. He followed me here, hoping I'd lead him to his daughter. Oh. Gee, Mr. Dixon, I'm... I'm sorry if there's anything I can do. My daughter was fine. Decent. But you... Oh, Mr. Dixon... After what you did to your parents and to us, making us wonder for so long, not knowing whether it was you or, or our daughter who was dead. Believe me, I wish it were you. Like Bert McGraw told me a long time ago, somebody has to handle the rough ones. And for me, this was it. Henry Dixon was in no condition to drive his car, so he rode back with us. And on the way, well, Darla Mason will never forget the things he said to her. Neither will I. As for Ruth Dixon, who murdered her and why, well, that's up to the Newport police. Expense account total, including hotel bill, car rental, and transportation back to Hartford, $319 exactly. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, here's our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week? Well, I suddenly found out there was more to this case I just finished. More. The really tough part. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood. Written by Charles B. Smith, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in our cast were Virginia Gregg, Mary Jane Croft, Jeanette Nolan, Jean Tatum, Frank Nelson, Will Wright, Austin Green, and Marvin Miller. Musical supervision is by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.